Hey guys and girls, welcome back to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. As always, I'm your host, Roman Tagal, and in today's episode, I'll be talking about the pharma and biotech supply chain with Richard Weaver, who's founder and managing director at Drug Discovery Solutions. Now, Richard and I go back well over a decade. Uh, we both started our businesses in the outsourcing space around a similar time. So we have bumped into each other at events over the years. We have worked uh, on projects that have involved similar clients and just become, uh, I suppose, good friends as time has passed by. Um, so I was really pleased that he accepted my invitation to be a guest on Molecule to Market. I did invite him on a few years ago, but as you'll hear from his story, the timing wasn't quite right, but it is today and I'm so glad we could bring his story to your ears. Uh, in today's episode, you're going to cover a real entrepreneurial journey uh, and as you, fans of the podcast know, I love an entrepreneurial journey. So lots I can resonate with, but for you guys who are either in businesses like that or you know CEOs of businesses or just oh, find these stories interesting, you're going to love today's episode. Um, Richard, kind of started his life at AstraZeneca and spent a big chunk of time here, but uh, listen out for how he kind of uh, <laughs> unlocked uh, his sense of curiosity early on and that ultimately led him down the path uh, of being an entrepreneur and how it was just opportunity and circumstance that led to um, him creating and founding a business called Xenogesis, uh, which he then uh, successfully grew for nine years. Uh, listen out for the kind of early stories of him just kind of people taking a punt on him and believing in him and his idea and him just saying failure was simply not an option. And some of the fun and games of getting equipment is an early phase CRO, um, but love some of the resourceful entrepreneurial stuff in this story. So it'll, it'll no doubt put a smile on your face. We then get into the growth of, of his business uh, that ultimately led to a successful sale to Signature Discovery in 2020, a very well-respected organization. And, you know, we dig into some of the lessons learned and moments of that journey and, you know, just what it was like to build a business and ultimately sell it, which is, you know, the dream for many founders that start a, a company. So really good insights there as well. Towards the back end of today's episode, we kind of switch gears towards what Richard's doing today in his new project as a founder of and managed director at Drug Discovery Solutions. And also we dig into the market, how it is today versus 10 years ago. Uh, and Richard gives some real hope for optimism, both in terms of how good we've got it today versus when he first started, but also some key trends that he says. So uh, some good learnings there for you to take back into your kind of own business. So for background, in, his, in addition to his kind of current role, uh, as I mentioned, he, Richard was previously CEO and founder of Cedogesis in 2011 and grew and led to the successful sale of the business's signature in 2020. Prior to that, he spent 14 years at AstraZeneca. He is an expert of all aspects of R&D, including due diligence of companies and assets, specialist in drug metabolism and pharmacokinetics, DMPK, for, from HIT identification, HI, to candidate drug CD nomination and preclinical development 
a super small guy that has just pivoted his career and created an incredible pathway for himself. So um, yeah, no doubt you will love his interview today. As always, thank you to you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate your time and being here to listen to the podcast. Thanks to my team for pulling the podcast together, uh, doing all the fancy editing and bringing it to your ears via whatever platform you're listening to. Wherever you are listening to this, uh, do me a favor and give us a nice kind rating or even better, share today's episode with a friend or a colleague. And that's exactly how we grow our podcast audience and get the podcast into Uh, more ears uh, across the industry Uh, and beyond that uh, have a good day and enjoy today's show hi richard welcome to the show thanks very much roman great to speak to you again really good to speak to you Uh, and you and i go back uh, a good 10 years or so so i'm I'm really really pleased to to get you on the podcast to tell your story it's taken me a bit of while to to get you on but but here we are so richard given I know your background, but our listener might not have come across you before. Tell us about your story and, you know, from, from university to where you are today and some of the kind of key milestones on that, on that journey. Yeah, sure. So, um, from a university, it was a chemistry actually for me from the beginning. So a chemistry degree followed by uh, a chemistry synthesis, um, PhD and two synthesis postdocs. Now, obviously they were chemistry and they were synthesis but they all had a sort of medicinal uh, background, really. So uh, it was oncology for my PhD. Uh, it was actually AIDS. We're talking back in the 1990s here for my uh, my first postdoc. And then tropical diseases, Leishmania. Uh, the PhD was with uh, Leicester University and the postdoc was Welsh School of Pharmacy. Um, so, you know, I was a chemist, you know, all, all, all the way through there, but really enjoyed that application of chemistry to medicine. Um, and then it was 1997, um, and I saw a job advert out. I always wanted to go to industry, and I saw a job advert out for Astra, which, uh, again, showing my age here, wasn't <laughs> Astra's any good. It was actually Astra, and they wanted to actually recruit people who had a chemistry background in DMPK, and that was quite an unusual thing at the time. Uh, historically, they were, they were biologists, really, and you know, showed them, a, showed these guys a, a, a chemical structure, and it, it didn't mean anything in essence to them. So that was actually quite a smart move. Uh, but it's worth saying that you know, flavour of my career really, you know, I completely changed in essence. You know, I'd gone from being a chemist and doing chemistry and focusing on chemistry to a new science, uh, DMPK, drug metabolism, pharmacokinetics. Um, so again, thrown in the deep end, didn't know anything about it, you know, initially. But learned, learned you know, from a fantastic team here in, in Loughborough, AstraZeneca, Charmwood. Stayed there for 14 years, progressed through, and you know that all went really well and, and really enjoyed it. By the mid-2000s, and you'll, you'll know this, uh, there started to be this shift in terms of outsourcing. So, you know, pharma, it wasn't working. The model was broken. You know, the costs were going up through the roof, spiraling in terms of R&D, but the returns for them were, were not so good. Um, so in terms of profit, in terms of number of drugs on the market, et cetera, and something had to give. And the first thing they did was to outsource. Okay. So I was in, I was in charge of outsourcing to India and China and also the UK actually for some of the fledgling CROs that had emerged there in the sort of mid two thousands. So I got a bit of a feel for what these guys did actually. And we're talking, you know, companies like Wuxi, which, you know, massive now, were very, very small back then, uh, with, with little experience. 
And I got an expert, you know, I got that experience of, let's say, what they did well and what they perhaps didn't do so well. And, and it was really then that I started to think, actually, there's a, there's a bit of a gap in the market. There's a need here. Uh, fast forward a bit longer, and in 2010, at our site at AstraZeneca, we are all marched into a big tent um, and told us that the, the site was closing, which is obviously not, you know, not very nice at the time. Uh, but the very next day, actually, I'd already sort of decided, you know what, I'm going to set up, I'm going to set up a company here because there's a gap in the market. Um, without sounding too corny, I thought, well, I want to be in charge of my own, my own destiny here and not be dragged to another farmer site with my family and then that shut within a year or two or whatever. So that was really the catalyst. And then started, you know, obviously it's a big story, but started, uh, started Xenogesis in uh, November 2011 at BioCity Nottingham in the old Boots Labs, which was which was great to go to, just up the road for me. Uh, very timely, very handy. Um, and the journey began there, really, with three people in November 2011. Work um, straight away, actually, in the first month. So revenue in the very first month and revenue every every month since then and, and, and grew the company to 36 people and um, nearly 4 million turnover uh, in the end in, in 2020. And we're going to come back to your Xenogesis story. Before we do that, Richard, let's go back to that time you spent in your 14 years is uh, probably the biggest chunk of your career or probably equal chunk to your, of your career so far. When you, what you said right at the start, kind of you come, you came from a chemistry background, but you had a certain level of curiosity almost to look or pursue different areas. Where did that that come from? So that kind of attitude to kind of think okay i'm actually going to learn something completely new is that just something that's part of your dna or is that something that has developed over your time because it sounds quite entrepreneurial which <laughs> given your academic and big pharma background isn't necessarily what i would have expected yeah it's a great question to be honest and and you know as you get older one reflects when you're young, younger you just do stuff you know and and actually, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of jumping the question at the moment, but, you know, I always was entrepreneurial, I guess, and I never realized it until I was older. But but just that curiosity to learn new things, you know, I was fascinated with science from an early age, you know, chemistry, medicine, I mean, astronomy, actually. When I was at university, I did a year of astronomy and, you know, learned how to use um, uh, the observatory at Leicester University. I used to go up there with a mate and, you know, we'd get the almanac out and <laughs> this is the old days before smartphones. Um, you know, we used to look at the night sky and the first time I saw Jupiter with its four moons, you know, it blew my mind, you know. Um, so I'm just always interested in learning new things and specifically science. Are you a scientist or are you an entrepreneur? Great question. I'm both. So, you know, if you, you, you're, you're from, uh, you're from a seaside town. So, you know, you know, a stick of rock, what it looks like, you know, and you'd, uh, you know, you could look at it and say, well, I'm a scientist on the outside or a businessman, but you cut it in half and it will say the opposite, you know, <laughs> inside. So I'm both of those things, actually. I mean, I was a scientist originally, became a businessman. I love them both. Luckily, I can do them both. And But science has remained true to me all the way along, actually. So I've never let go of the science and I wouldn't allow myself to do that. And I also think that's why we were so successful as Energesis. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so let's go to Xenogesis and you started uh, in 2011 and talk us through that startup story, both from a personal perspective, I'm guessing, and I know you've got, you would have had young kids at the time, they're a bit older now, but you know, what was the, what was the breakfast conversation or the dinner conversation with your, with your, your wife around, you know, you, know, you had a, presumably a very safe, secure income at AstraZeneca and then things changed and you were now 
going to start your own business. Uh, appreciate you had revenue on day one, which might have been part of that conversation. But did you ever feel overwhelmed or apprehensive or anxious about that startup? Or did you just, my assumption would be you just thought, screw it, and you just went for it. <laughs> did you think? Yeah, so I guess there's quite a few questions in there. They're all they're all good questions. Yeah, um, I was in the lucky position that the site was announced to be closed in March 2010. But none of us actually left site until the following July. So we all had quite a bit of time to, you know, get our act together basically and, and decide that next move. I mean, as it turned out, I decided on day one, actually, the next day, I'm going to set up a company as soon as they announced it. Uh, but the good thing was, you know, there's plenty of time to to, to think about it and, and get some support and get some help. And to be honest, AstraZeneca were very good at offering that support. They had people come in and give lectures about business and blah, 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 you know, all these different things fundraising you know and etc etc so i did have time but obviously i wrote the business plan my wife was very supportive you know i mean you know just just let me get on with it really and and you know and you know i was in the fortunate position again because i joined so early i did have some redundancy so my plan was that you know give this my best shot for say six months and if it failed then i'd have to go and get a job you know uh, but but failure wasn't really an option for me um I knew there was a need. I think that's the important bit. It wasn't done on a whim. You know, you could say, blimey, he's taking some risk here, but probably just like yourself, I just knew there was a need. And if I could get it right, get the right team, um, I knew it was going to be successful. You know, it was, it was as simple as that for me. So I didn't find it daunting. If I thought of it as the whole process of what you actually have to do, and you'll know all this, so, you know, set the team up. We needed labs, we needed equipment, we needed... You know, we needed legals, we need accountancy, how to learn finance, the P&L, the balance sheet, you know, customer interactions, you know, the business development, you know, the list goes on and on and on and all, all legally safe, insured, all, all that good stuff and looking after staff. Yeah, see, think of it as a whole. You know, it is it is quite daunting, but, um, you know, you just, just learn things on the, on the way. Um, get expert advice because there's so much great advice out there there always was uh, if you know where to look and there, and there all and there is now as well so um so yeah and it was exciting i'm not going to lie i mean those early days are some of my happiest memories you know um you know we were opportunistic as well maybe, maybe i don't know whether you guys were as well but because pharma sites were closing all over the place at the same time there was suddenly a glut of instrumentation kit etc available on the market and there was a company called Dovebid, not sure whether it still exists, it might do, which is kind of an industry eBay uh, equivalent where you could buy kit, you know, from from pharmacies. So, you know, a guy who started with me, Manfred, he drove down in a van with another good friend of mine, James, uh, and bought a load of kit from, from Pfizer. And it sat in my garage for three months, you know. We bought centrifuges from eBay, pipettes from eBay, you know, and... You know, it's just, just part of the journey. So anything anything we could do to, to keep the cost down get started so that that part was so exciting for me um, i've got a big grin on my face because i just i, I resonate so much with your story richard uh, you know quite recently one of my colleagues at remarking asked me the question you know <clears throat> who did who used to do the invoices before the finance team and i was like well i used to do them and they, <laughs> there was just a sense of absolute amazement on their face that i would ever be responsible for raising and sending and chasing invoices and then i had to explain well i used to be hr and finance and marketing yeah. and, and, B, and bd and you know? bd and operations and 
you do you do learn on very quick you kind of have to learn on the job and you can educate yourself and as you said i couldn't agree more there is help out there and people who have been on that journey are generally very um willing in, in the same way i suspect you are today richard with your journey um but I, I was i was laughing with you know this man in the van driving around big pharma sites picking up equipment which is just it is so an entrepreneurial thing to do which is just look for opportunities to uh, you know kit yourself with the right things to meet the needs in the market without having you know I actually i always look at my understanding is you never raised any money in the same way that i did early on in the journey and what that makes in, in my experience anyway it makes you more resourceful and kind of canny in the way that you make things happen now if you'd raised two million quid at the time i suspect you would have bought you probably wouldn't have you might not have gone down that route and you because you had that cash in the bank to spend uh but my guess is in those early early years you had to be resourceful and thrifty with the way that you scaled the business oh definitely you know and to be honest that that appealed that appealed to me maybe it's my generation as well you know i mean again growing up we didn't have we certainly didn't have loads of money i remember we didn't have a colored telly till i was 12 or something you know so um, so that, I mean, we did need to raise some cash just to be clear. So, you know, we, we'd, um, you know, luckily I'd got quite a few people that came to me that were excess AstraZeneca people and wanted to invest in me, you know, and which was, which was just wonderful. I didn't ask them, uh, through the EIS scheme and BioCity themselves invested as well. So we did have a small amount of cash investment, but we never went again. You know, we had that small amount, you know, I was still the major shareholder throughout, uh, and we, it was just pure organic growth, you know. And every time we made a profit, we fed that back into the into the company, and also distributed those profits to the staff as well, which was really important to me, you know. And all of these were ingredients to what was a huge success story at Xenogesis. So, I suppose describe or summarize. I believe it was was a nine year period uh, that ultimately led to uh, the sale of Xenogesis to Signature Discovery, which we'll come on to talk about, but. If, as you reflect back over that nine-year period, how would you describe it? Oh, best best thing I've ever done. You know, I mean, yeah, people talk about that Monday morning feeling, don't they? When you when you go to work, oh God, I've got to go to work. You know, I never had that, not once in nine years. You know, and and I never switched off as well. I mean, that's probably the same as you. Perhaps much to my my wife's disdain. You know, uh, checking your emails on holiday and things like that. But it it didn't feel like work to me. You know. So, perhaps a weird thing to say because I, I just loved it I loved every minute of it you know so the whole journey building it the challenges that you have where actually I mean you'll, you'll know this as well but you know sometimes the pace is growing so quickly you can't keep up actually uh, and you've got to you've got to predict that so you, it's not you don't just suddenly dial in some more people you know you've got to go out and have an interview process you've got to get the right people in the first place you've got to you know embed them there you've got to train them before they're fully productive etc so you know you do have all these challenges and you've got to sort of make these make these decisions early i mean we moved laps you know and and, and took on it was more than double the space i think it was yeah two and a half times the space or something brand new labs big cost um, and you've just got to make those decisions, but not on a whim. And it's based on some evidence that you believe you're going to grow. You know, so the whole thing was fascinating to me. I mean, I did the I did the business development for many years as well until we got a you know a, a you know a global head of of business development. I love that part as well. Um, I love listening. I love meeting people, and most importantly, I love knowing if I can help people. That's really the the premise of the whole thing. You know. Can we help our customers? Um, do they, you know, do we have the skills that they need, or 
or perhaps, and again, you perhaps have come across this, you know, they'll ask you, well, we need this, this, and this, and you start to listen to them and you start to see some of the data and actually don't need that. They need something else. You know, and, and you've got to have that conversation with them as well, based, based on our collective experience. So, so the whole thing was just great. I mean, we had a big social side that was really important to me, you know, work's not got to be done and boring. It's got to be enjoyable. It's got to be an experience, you know, it's got to be a big social element to it as well. And there was, and that was, that was just great. You know, we used to, we used to, you know, summer, summer dues, you know, Christmas dues, socials, etc. And we had a, we had a great time. It was, it was, it was good. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Amazing. And uh, I love that phrase. The best thing that you'd ever done in not feeling like work. I, again, um, I've never ever had that Sunday night dread feeling going to work in the last 14 years, which is a yeah. privilege. And not that this journey is for everyone because it comes with all the other crap, which you, <laughs> which you mentioned, but nevertheless, and as you, and I'm going to come on to, I suppose that decision to, to sell the business, but is there anything you got wrong in that nine years? Cause you know, on the face of it, you, you scaled really nice. You invested at the right times. Um, and you know, you developed from what I could see really, really strong scientific capabilities that were in demand in the market. But if, as you reflect back on that time, would have you, would you have done anything differently? Yeah, no. So that's a, that's a great question for sure. So I guess the one thing I would have done is I would have had somebody doing business development before we did, I think, you know, to grow the company even further and, and perhaps, perhaps faster, you know. Now, I was, again, this is the scientist in me. I was always a little nervous because I've seen some, I've seen some really bad business development people, salespeople. And I always said in the science, you know, we, I use the approach that I sold through the science, nothing else. You know, I wasn't a sort of salesman, if you, if you know what I mean. I wasn't trying to sell products and, and, and widgets. It was about listening and trying to, you know, use the science to, to sell. And that worked. Um, so I was nervous about getting somebody else who could do that, I suppose. I didn't want a sort of traditional, a traditional type of salesman. Having said that, if I, you know, I perhaps should have been a little bit more bold there um, and, and got somebody earlier that, that, that could have done a, a really good job and perhaps built the business, business further. So that's one. And I guess the other one is potentially thinking about getting further investment along the way to grow faster, I suppose. Yeah. Um, because when you, when you, you know, we had organic uh, investment, you know, we only had that thing from the beginning. So, you know, some years you don't have such a good year as, as others when, you know, you buy loads of kit or you suddenly take on more staff. So your overheads go up, et cetera. Uh, and you're limited then by your growth in terms of how much cash you've got in the bank, you know. So I always wrestled with the idea of whether we should have attracted investment, you know, another round along the way. With hindsight, you know, probably not because, you know, we were, we, retain full control you know i was still the major shareholder but you know the other guys on the board uh, and the investors you know they had a good say but we we controlled everything from within and that was that was good i think uh at the end um so not sure what the right answer is there it could have gone either way i think honestly it's really fascinating hearing your i suppose the the, the things that you think you might regret but you just never know right because i really resonate with that point around there the manner in which you sell, it's much more of a consultative help-based selling. You know, I, re I remember one of our first clients 
that we worked with and you know they went from I don't know 20 grand to 100 grand and there was never a sales aspect it was just a hey if I was in your shoes I'd think about this and I would do this and I would do this it was coming from a place of helping and educating as opposed to selling and that's where the the sale kind of sorry the client grew it was very much a like this is how given my expertise I would deal with this situation and that's effectively what the client was paying for that trust in the relationship in your opinion and so yeah it's it's fascinating so organic growth doing well thriving business great culture how comes you sold the business yeah that's a great question so I say before I come on to that I mean obviously I mean you'll you'll perhaps know this as well you know being successful to us I never I never actively look to sell if, if you know what I mean I didn't go out waving the flag that we were sale at any time actually during those nine years but you must have had people knocking on the door as yeah absolutely that so so people were just came and knocked on the door you know and i was opportunistic i did listen to them we had multiple offers to be honest over the years to to potentially buyers um but what was really important to me was the fit um actually so not just the not just the cash it was important to me for the fit and what would it mean to the staff after we sold you know and that was really important. Um, so, you know, we could have, I'm sure, sold to a, a US-based company, for example, for, for for more money. But what would that have meant and how would they have valued us, you know? So, you know, the ultimate thing was, you know, we knew Signature very well um, for many years. I mean, a lot of their staff were also AstraZeneca staff. You know, Signature were very uh, opportunistic back at the time when AstraZeneca closed and took a load of staff, you know, which was, which was great, you know, great for them. They took a load of chemists. They created an in vitro pharmacology department, bioscience department. Um, you know, they were my ex-colleagues, so I knew them really well. You know, we were in the same group of buildings at BioCity. We built a relationship with them. Uh, we shared many clients, so many people would come to us for the DMBK, but they'd be doing the chemistry and the pharmacology at, at Signature. You know, I knew Simon Hurst, the CEO, for, for, for many years. Um, and the fit there was perfect. You know, my staff, when we sold, they didn't even move desk, you know, um, which was pretty amazing. The only one that moved desk was me, <laughs> actually. Um, so there are multiple reasons to to, to sort of decide when um, uh, and where. And, and this was all at the time of COVID as well. So it was a challenging time anyway for the business. It was a challenging time. I mean, we sold the company virtually in essence, you know, through through you know, Zoom and Zoom and Teams, you know, with the corporate finance teams, the legal teams, etc. So, I guess it was multiple things coming together, and, th- and that unknown period as well. Of course, you know, from a from a personal perspective and from a family perspective, you know, I say it was in the middle of COVID, you know, and nobody knew what was going to happen, and and to have some financial security, you know, when I'd still got children at a time when I didn't know what was going to happen was also very important to to me personally. Honestly, it's, it is really wonderful to hear the kind of way you navigate this because it sounds very similar to the decisions i made post-covid and in, in taking private equity investment in remarketing for exactly the same reasons which was there comes a point i think in in most people's entrepreneurial journey where there's almost more, more to lose than there is to gain to an extent where there is continued growth and a future ahead but there's an element of okay i just need to look after myself and my family at this point in time which is exactly what seemed like the right thing and and given i was going to ask about how the team took it but it sounds like that went pretty well given the relationship with with signature how how was your um 
you know, you mentioned there was a there was a few initial shareholders that helped you get the business off the ground. You know, nine years earlier, that must have been fun telling those. And they they might have been they would have been involved at some point. I suspect when the paperwork was getting done, but that must have been really satisfying for some of those early believers investors to presumably make you know x amount of return on the the pounds that they invested absolutely you know it was delightful for me to be honest um so they made a you know a lot of money you know a, a massive a massive return on their investment every any what every you know all of them involved um and i was delighted for them actually you know you know they believed in me at the beginning you know and when it was just an idea that's that's the truth it was just an idea and they they believed in me and i was just delighted to reward them with with that belief actually and 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 share that share that wealth with them and likewise for you know for some of the staff members that were there before um you know 2015 who ended up being uh, you know, part of an enterprise management incentive scheme then you know I was delighted to to be able to share the the upside of that with uh, with those individuals as well what an amazing achievement so you know but as we pause at that point you know there are many people in in the business community that found a business grow it successfully and then ultimately sell it to uh, another company in the space so congratulations on on that story and i remember i think i was in in the us at the time reading the story and i think i dropped you a message to say congratulations because i'd been you know we'd come across each other for so many times over the years so it was i felt genuinely very proud of you and very pleased for you that you'd you'd achieve that milestone so uh, and so, so what happens next and obviously you become part of the signature business and i believe you were there for a, is it two to three years that you you stayed in the business i was there for roughly two years yeah yeah and what was that experience like and presumably was you know from what i understand you know very well respected organization uh, growing quickly um how did you find that time and also i suppose did you find and this is no obviously disrespect to signature this is more knowing you based on what you've to- talked about to, did you find that the shackles were on a little bit within a bigger organization and that you'd lost that sense of freedom uh in that kind of curiosity piece to just go and see what's over there when you're part of a bigger a bigger company yeah i mean again that's another that's another great great question i mean the simple answer is it's going to change you know i was the ceo you know obviously i didn't i didn't unilaterally make the decisions we had a fantastic team as energesis you know and we made decisions together you know and and obviously that was going to change it doesn't matter whether it was signature or anybody else that was that was going to change but what I what I did do, and which I was you know really pleased was um, you know looked at the gaps that uh, Signature had, and you know one of my ideas was to create a form and formulation department for them. Uh, another another guy also had the the same idea, so you know I got to sort of write a business plan and present a business case, and it was a bit like doing Zenergesis all over again in some ways. You know it it required a budget, you know some space, some labs. Um, you know, some significant investment in equipment and then think about when that ROI could come in. Um, and I love doing that. You know, it's just fantastic. We had a great guy there, David, who heads that up, which is just, just a super guy, very entrepreneurial himself, actually. So, you know, I see, I see quite a bit of myself in, in, in David, actually. And that's been a roaring success. I really enjoyed that. Um, and obviously getting involved in other things. You know, we were focused specifically on DMBK. Um, obviously, it's the work I did personally when I consulted for, for Xenogesis, you know, it's part of a wider group, you know, the chemistry, the pharmacology, the, uh, the toxicology, thinking about safety margins, thinking about prediction of a human PK, prediction of a human dose. 
you know, I was part of that world again now at Signature and, you know, being exposed to, to larger clients, which I really enjoyed, you know. That's good to hear because it's not always the case when entrepreneurs end up in larger organizations that it all goes swimmingly well, but it sounds like the leadership team there recognized, you know, we've got someone here that can do some good for growing the business in in, in different ways, um, which is which is great. And obviously you decided to naturally leave the business after after a couple of years and and it looks like you've um started your newest project so tell us uh, and our listener a little bit more about drug discovery solutions yeah sure so yeah, it's got a i guess quite a grand title but i was thinking about the future and where this might go i mean i was lucky enough to i couldn't believe it to be honest that i managed to get the uh, the .co.uk uh, domain name for a start you'd never think i would but i did so that was that was quite lucky um, and I guess it's, I guess really it's going back to my roots, you know, so throughout my career at AstraZeneca, I advised project teams, you know, with the DMPK and, and help them make these projections, help them make better compounds, you know, with my chemistry hat on my chemistry eyes, my structural eyes, which, which, I, which I did all that time. I did that throughout as Energesis. So if I didn't make that clear, you know, sure. I transitioned to, you know, being the CEO and BD and all that good stuff. But I never lost sight of being a scientist. You know, that was the core of, of, of Xenogesis, really. And I consulted throughout, throughout Xenogesis. Um, and I just thought, you know what? I just want to go out there now and, and just concentrate on doing this and, and helping, helping biotechs, really. Um, and, and doing it full time. So without any other distraction, shall we say, of, 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 of having a, you know, a senior role in a, in a senior organization. I could just concentrate on what I was really good at, uh, what I, where I could add value. And that I enjoyed, and that I got a real buzz from, really. So that's that's the sort of that side. But on the second side of what it allows me to do, I'm an investor as well now. Since I, since I left, um, since I, since I sold Energesis, and um, I help other companies. So I'm helping Pioneer Group, uh, which is which is BioCity as was. Glenn Crocker, who used to be the CEO of BioCity, um, is is the investor, director, and in charge of, of this arm. So I'm actually helping those guys to help review companies in the UK, spin outs, et cetera, that are looking for funding or, or you know, or, or grow on funding and help them do the due diligence on that, see if they've got a good idea, see if they've got the right team, have they thought about their own return on investment, their scaling, is this possible? Do their numbers make sense? So that's another part of what I do in drug discovery solutions, and and I really enjoy that part of it as well. It's it's interesting now because one of the things I was going to ask you about was this kind of concept of of paying forward, given the success that you've had. And one of the themes that I've definitely taken from the conversation with you today, Richard, is you know you said right at the start that you weren't afraid to ask for help when you started the business, and that you know you talked about helping clients, and that's what you did, you know, to just help. How can I help you? And so. It's interesting that it's gone full circle now and you are, I suppose, in that mentor and I presume both from a mentor perspective, but also from an investor perspective where you're, you know, handing over your own kind of personal investment out of your own pocket to support some of these companies. How have you found that transition, I suppose, going from, from one side of the fence to the other? If I'm honest, really easy, actually. I mean, it's just, just dead simple. It's, it's, it's kind of what I do as well, you know, so, uh, so yeah, I just, I just didn't find that difficult at all, and I just I just find it very very enjoyable indeed. You know, I mean, all the way through Zenogesis actually. I mean, I used to lecture for you know for free. People asked me advice to you know come speak to a load of MBA students or 
MSc students at King's College London or, or, or whatever and, and and give them a flavor really of, of, of being being an entrepreneur and you know are you an entrepreneur and ask these guys and try to stimulate uh, some, some thoughts in them and, and actually well, I could, you know if he can do it then maybe I can do it you know so so that's I just I just love seeing success and, and, and especially love I love seeing inquisitive you know intellectual, um, intelligent people, you know, and, and if I see that wherever I've worked, then I, I, I kind of latch on to those people and I, I just want to help them, you know, and give them a bit of a springboard and say, look, you can, you can do this, you know, so, so I, I find that great. I, I just love it. Genuinely great. And Drug Discovery Solutions, is the plan to stay small? Are you going to get itchy feet or, you know, and start uh, employing a few people, a consultant here and there, and then an employee here and there, and then before you know it, Richard, you'll be back to 30 people. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's where... <laughs> It's funny you. It's funny you ask that. At the moment, at the moment, the plan is it's just to be me, you know. But I've only been going for about well a, a month, you know. I've already got five customers, soon soon to be eight, and I'm <laughs> I'm at capacity, you know what I mean? So, so you know, it's something I'm I'm thinking about, but we'll, we'll see. I'm either going to knock it down a bit, or um, you know, take on some staff, you know, w- w- one way or the other. Well, our consultant the listeners um, will probably be picking up the phone to you after this, and then some of the business development folks might also be. Saying, hey, you remember you said you wanted to hire some business development people earlier on in your journey. <laughs> Here I am. So, um, yeah, and I, I've got no doubt. So let's, in the last couple of minutes, Richard, I've, I've really loved talking about, and that's one of the reasons I really wanted you on. I, I wanted to hear in your entrepreneurial journey uh, and also share that with our listeners because it really is. Uh, been a terrific story um, from your time at AstraZeneca, Future Genogesis, uh, you know, and all the way through Signature to where you are today, and no doubt it'll be a success. And as you, as you I suppose, come back to the market, albeit you've never left, but as a as a startup looking at the needs of the market, like you did on, on day one in Genogesis, how do you view the market today versus where it was in in 2011? Um, you know. I suppose through the lens of you know what are the needs today from biotech companies, how is that evolving? Um, obviously, cash is a bit tighter than it might have been a few years ago. So, we'd love your take on on where the market is now, and, and of course, where where you think things are headed. Another great question. Well, number one, it's so much better than than where I was in two thousand and ten and two thousand eleven. You could argue, you know, we just come out of a sort of financial crisis of two thousand and eight. Yeah, it probably wasn't the right time to set up, you know, at all. So. You know, there's so much more money available. I mean, you know, we can talk about you know post Brexit and post post COVID, but it doesn't matter. You know, there's so much more money about. You know, I mean, often you know we all tune into the news and it's all doom and gloom, but you know that's not that's not the real truth. You know, and and there is a lot of money swashing around. There's a lot of money swashing around for investments. I mean, you've worked in Boston. I mean, it obviously blows the <laughs> blows the UK out of, out of the water. Just just Boston itself, but there is a ton of money, and actually. Um, you know the the um, the multiples of EBITDA have changed massively over the years for in in a positive way in the CRO market in the biotech market etc. Another big important point is you know I mean I I went back to two thousand and eight and eleven and pharma would start to do a bit of risk sharing start to look at biotechs blah blah blah. Uh, but the truth is I think seventy to eighty percent of all drugs in development and clinical trials now originated in biotechs. You know that's where the innovation is. Um, so, you know, the biotechs are here to stay for, for, for my money. Outsourcing 100% is here to stay. I think what is interesting, I mean, also there's a, you know, there's there's lots of people want to go to China and India to outsource for, you know, purely for cost reasons. And, and I understand that. 
and you absolutely can get good quality there as well. But, you know, with some of the hard political decisions that have been made in terms of lockdowns in China and things, I think people are questioning to perhaps, you know, put all their eggs in one basket with one provider. Uh, so I've seen that change, actually. I've seen biotechs, the bigger biotechs, go with multiple CROs to, to really share their risk. Uh, and multiple CROs based in different areas, you know, so outsource some to China, some to the UK, some to, to, to wherever, you know. So people are sort of hedging their bets a little bit more. Uh, but there's no question outsourcing's here to stay, you know, and that will be the way um, of, of, of doing the biotechs, the small molecules for, for many, many years to come. And it needs, you know, it needs expert help from, I guess, people like myself and and other consultants in other other areas as well. And do you, I suppose, final question on that that point? Because I think it's a really interesting topic. And as I summarise, if I've understood, you know, biotech is here to stay, outsourcing is here to stay. But I suppose offshoring in the traditional sense that's been a trend in the last decade and beyond. You you seem less sure about that, which is you're expecting some of that early phase CRO work to potentially come back west and be his expertise in Europe and in, in the US as well. I do, yeah. I mean, there are some there are some Chinese CROs where they've actually set up offices um, and a lot of, I say, the, the, the sort of intellectual input is provided, you know, in the UK, you know, and I think that's a really interesting model, actually. Um, and I think it will be successful. You know, I think that will be successful. You know, the communication then, you know, in terms of the right, the same time zone, all that, all that stuff, uh, you know, makes a difference. And especially when biotechs are, you know, they want to move fast, you know, and make the right decisions. You know, they only have a finite amount of cash. And it is amazing, actually. Uh, you know, I was in large pharma and it's, you know, going back all those years, it's, it, you know, they were very wasteful. There's no question about that. But it's amazing what you can achieve on a small budget if you make the right decisions. You know, I mean, I've always said the most successful project is the one with the least number of compounds made, you know, because you're learning from every compound. Uh, all the information you're getting and reapplying that to the design of the of the better compound, whatever that needs to be, better DMPK, you know, better physicochemical properties, better selectivity, better safety margin, you know, lower dose, better solubility, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, I think I I, I see it. I mean, the, 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 there's some big CROs now in the UK, you know, some big CROs in the in the US, Europe as well. Um, obviously, Eastern Europe, there's, there's some big CROs as well. So I think, you know, I think. That whole keeping it local uh, ethos has, has been a sort of product of COVID, not just in in this outsourcing world, but 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 generally, actually, which is no is not necessarily a bad thing. Yeah, no, and that's uh, I think for the majority of our listeners who are North America and European based, um, and you know, a good proportion are actually based in in Asia as well. Some really interesting insights to to finish today's conversation, Richard. Thanks so much for being a guest on Molecule to Market. I'm really, really glad we were able to do this. Uh, thank you so much. And uh, it's been an absolute pleasure from my side. So thanks thanks kindly for the invite. Hi again. Thanks for tuning in to today's show. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. For more shows, have a look on Spotify, Apple, or Amazon, wherever you like to listen. And do make sure that you subscribe. So the next episode comes direct to your device automatically. And please get in touch via our website at Molecule to Market Pod or via LinkedIn or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have a guest that you want to suggest or someone in your organization that 
you think would make a great guest on Molecules Market, then please let us know. We'll see you very soon. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.